When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Law School of America Derivative Suits Because directors owe their duties to the corporation and not, as a general rule, to specific shareholders or stakeholders, the right to sue for breaches of director's duty rests by default with the corporation itself. The corporation is necessarily a party to the suit. This creates a difficulty because almost always, the right to litigate falls under the general powers of directors to manage the corporation day to day, for example. Delaware General Corporation Law Section 141A. Often, cases arise, such as in Bros v. Cellular Information Systems Incorporated, where an action is brought against a director because the corporation has been taken over and a new, non-friendly board is in place, or because the board has been replaced after bankruptcy. Otherwise, there is a possibility of a conflict of interest because directors will be reluctant to sue their colleagues, particularly when they develop personal ties. The law has sought to define further cases where groups other than directors can sue for breaches of duty. First, many jurisdictions outside the U.S. allow a specific percentage of shareholders to bring a claim as of right, for example, 1%. This solution may still entail significant collective action problems where shareholders are dispersed, like the U.S. Second, some jurisdictions give standing to sue to non-shareholder groups, particularly creditors, whose collective action problems are less. Otherwise, third, the main alternative is that any individual shareholder may derive a claim on the corporation's behalf to sue for breach of duty, but such a derivative suit will be subject to permission from the court. The risk of allowing individual shareholders to bring derivative suits is usually thought to be that it could encourage costly, distracting litigation, or strike suits, or simply that litigation, even if the director is guilty of a breach of duty could be seen as counterproductive by a majority of shareholders or stakeholders who have no conflicts of interest. Accordingly, it is generally thought that oversight by the court is justified to ensure derivative suits match the corporation's interests as a whole because courts may be more independent. However, especially from the 1970s some states, and especially Delaware, began also to require that the board have a role. Most common law jurisdictions have abandoned role for the board in derivative claims, and in most U.S. states before the 1980s, the board's role was no more than a formality. But then, a formal role for the board was reintroduced. In the procedure to bring a derivative suit, the first step is often that the shareholder had to make a demand on the board to bring a claim. Although it might appear strange to ask a group of directors who will be sued, or whose colleagues are being sued, for permission, Delaware courts took the view that the decision to litigate ought by default to lie within the legitimate scope of director's business judgment. For example, in Aronson v. Lewis a shareholder of the Myers Parking System Incorporated claimed that the board had improperly wasted corporate assets by giving its 75-year-old director, Mr. Fink, a large salary and bonus for consultancy work even though the contract did not require performance of any work. Mr. Fink had also personally selected all of the directors. Nevertheless, Moore J. held for the Delaware Supreme Court that there was still a requirement to make a demand on the board before a derivative suit could be brought. There was a presumption that in making a business decision, the directors of a corporation acted on an informed basis in good faith and in the honest belief that the action was taken in the best interests of the company, even if they owed their jobs to the person being sued. 
A requirement to make a demand on the board will, however, be excused if it is shown that it would be entirely futile, primarily because a majority of the board is alleged to have breached its duty. Otherwise it must be shown that all board members are in some very strong sense conflicted, but merely working with the accused directors, and the personal ties this potentially creates, is insufficient for some courts. This indicated a significant and controversial change in Delaware's judicial policy, that prevented claims against boards. In some cases, corporate boards attempted to establish independent litigation committees to evaluate whether a shareholder's demand to bring a suit was justified. This strategy was used to preempt criticism that the board was conflicted. The directors would appoint the members of the independent committee, which would then typically deliberate and conclude that there was no good cause for bringing litigation. In Zapata Corp v. Maldonado the Delaware Supreme Court held that if the committee acted in good faith and showed reasonable grounds for its conclusion, and the court could be satisfied other reasons relating to the process, the committee's decision to not allow a claim could not be overturned. Applying Connecticut law the Second Circuit Federal Court of Appeals held in Joy B. North that the court could substitute its judgment for the decisions of a supposedly independent committee, and the board, on the ground that there was scope for conflicting interests. Then, the substantive merits for bringing the derivative claim would be assessed. Winter J. held overall that shareholders would have the burden to demonstrate that the action is more likely than not to be against the interests of the corporation. This would entail a cost-benefit analysis. On the benefit side would be the likely recoverable damages discounted by the probability of a finding of liability, and the costs side would include attorneys' fees and other out-of-pocket expenses, time spent by corporate personnel, the impact of distraction of key personnel, and potential lost profits which may result from the publicity of a trial. If it is thought that the costs exceed the benefits, then the shareholders acquire the right to sue on the corporation's behalf. A substantive hearing on the merits about the alleged breach of director's duty may be heard. The tendency in Delaware, however, has remained to allow the board to play a role in restricting litigation, and therefore minimize the chances that it could be held accountable for basic breaches of duty. Minority Shareholder Protections Ivanhoe Partners v. Newmont Mining Corporation, 1987, a shareholder owning over 50% of shares is a controlling shareholder, but actual control may also be present through other mechanisms. Citroen v. Fairchild Camera and Instrument Corporation, 1989, non-controlling shareholders do not owe duties to minority shareholders and may vote their shares for personal gain without concern. In Recess of Incorporated Shareholders Litigation, 2003, Nelson Carbonell owned 35% of CIS of Incorporated, a publicly traded company. His associates' holdings and options to buy more stock, however, actually meant he controlled around 40% of the votes. Chancellor held that without having to attract much, if any, support from public stockholders Carbonell could control the company. This was especially so since 100% turnout is unlikely even in a contested election and 40% block is very potent in view of that reality. Con v. Lynch Communications Systems Incorporated, 1994, Alcatel held 43% of shares in Lynch. One of its nominees on the board told the others, you must listen to us. We are 43% owner. You have to do what we tell you. The Delaware Supreme Court held that Alcatel did in fact dominate Lynch. Perlman v. Feldman, 1955, Sir Girari denied, 1955, held that it was foreseeable that a takeover bidder wished to divert a corporate advantage to itself, and so the selling shareholders were required to pay the premium they received to the corporation. Jones v. H.F. Amundsen and Company, 1969, holders of 85% of Com shares in a savings and loan association, 
exchanged shares for shares of a new corporation and began to sell those to the public, meaning that the minority holding 15% had no market for the sale of their shares. Held, breach of fiduciary duty to the minority, majority shareholders, have a fiduciary responsibility to the minority and to the corporation to use their ability to control the corporation in a fair, just, and equitable manner. New York Business Corporation Law Section 1104A the holders of 20% of voting shares of a non-public corporation may request that the corporation be wound up on grounds of oppression. NY Bus Corp Law Section 1118 and Alaska Plastics Incorporated v. Kopic, 1980, the minority can sue to be bought out at a fair value, determined by arbitration or a court. Donahue v. Rod Electrotype Company of New England, 1975 Majority shareholders cannot authorize a share purchase from one shareholder when the same opportunity is not offered to the minority. In Rejudicial Dissolution of Kemp and Beatley Incorporated 1984, under a just and equitable winding up provision, equivalent to YA 1986-212-1G, it was construed that less drastic remedies were available to the court before winding up, and oppression was said to mean conduct that substantially defeats the reasonable expectations held by minority shareholders in committing their capital to the particular enterprise. A shareholder who reasonably expected that ownership in the corporation would entitle him or her to a job, a share of corporate earnings, a place in corporate management, or some other form of security, would oppress in a very real sense when others in the corporation seek to defeat those expectations and there exists no effective means of salvaging the investment. Mizelman v. Mizelman 1983, a shareholder's reasonable expectations are to be determined by looking at the whole history of the participant's relationship. That history will include the reasonable expectations created at the inception of the participant's relationship, those reasonable expectations as altered over time, and the reasonable expectations which develop as the participants engage in a course of dealing and conducting the affairs of the corporation. Mergers and Acquisitions Applicable to Delaware Corporations Weinberger v. UOP Incorporated, Dell 1983, plaintiff must start by alleging the fiduciary stood to gain a material economic benefit. The burden then shifts to the defendant to show the fairness of the transaction. The court considers both the terms, and the process for the bargain, for example, both a fair price, and fair dealing. However, if the director shows that full disclosure was made to either the disinterested directors or disinterested shareholders, then the burden remains on the plaintiff. Revlon Incorporated v. McAndrews and Forbes Holdings Incorporated, 1985 Hanson Trust PLC v. MLSCM Acquisition Incorporated, 1986, Asset Lockup in Contested Takeover, Violation of Duty of Care. The Law School of America. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation Incorporated under a Creative Commons Attribution, Share Alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America